Hey there, ghosties. Welcome to episode 92 of the Ghost Lights podcast. Today, we we had a little fun. We recorded a podcast at 1 p.m. that I forgot to record. So I called everyone back at separate times throughout the day, and we chopped it up. Well, Dan did the chopping and reconnecting. I talked to them. Today, we've interviewed Rebecca Gorman O'Neill, the playwright of Gertrude and Ophelia in Hell, the play that Antoto 2 Theater Company is taking on the road to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. We talked to their stars, Susan Lyles and Kate Pulling, discussing the importance of women having the platform to tell their stories, given equal footing, as well as the interesting issues doing theater in this most recent tumultuous time in our lives. When we talked to Rebecca, we talked about the process of creating commissioned work, the marriage to one's words. I hope you enjoy the pod. Please like and subscribe and tell your friends today. And if you're going to find yourself out there in Edinburgh, get some tickets. Have yourself a journey. Now here's War by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. your boy sam gilstrap and this is episode 92 of the ghost lights podcast and if those words sound familiar to me it's because i already said them earlier today and don't know how zoom recording works i've been doing all these podcasts in person and i just got lazy don't get caught lacking out there ghosties or the or the or the technology will catch up to you anyway we've broken up today's podcast into essentially two parts we sat down with the playwright of Gertrude and Ophelia in Hell, which is being taken by Antoto 2 Theater Company off to the Edinburgh Theater Fest, or it's just the Fringe Fest, I should say. There's more than just one thing happening there. Well, it is, but it is the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Perfect. I want to make sure I get that right so I don't get sued. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I have with me now for the other part of this podcast, Susan Lyles and Kate Poling, the stars of Gertrude and Ophelia (laughs) in Hell. It's it, it was it was meant to be this way. Now we can just talk trash about Rebecca. No, I'm kidding. We're not going to do that. There's nothing to say. She's awesome. And we There's nothing bad to say about nothing, Rebecca. No, nothing at all. Not at all. So She's magic. She is magic. Um, Susan, Kate, let's each take a little moment to like kind of talk about your character in the space of this play, Gertrude and Ophelia in Hell. Susan, why don't you begin? Well, she's a queen mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's really pissed off. Why would she be pissed off? What happened in her previous life? I, I mean, man just kind of ruled the world and, um, you know, as they still kind of do. And because of them, she's now dead. And she's just plotting her way back. Plotting her way back, trying to figure out how to make things better the next time around. Nice. Kate, would you say that's a similar track or is it a little different? 
Uh, same thing in terms of uh, she wants another chance and she wants to make sure she does it right next time. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ophelia is a courtier's daughter who has basically been jerked around by her father and her boyfriend and her brother. And they've all sort of used her to get at each other in a way that leads to her um, becoming completely crazy. And as a result of that craziness, um, dying in a way that's completely not her fault at all. Um, So she's- Or is it? Or is it? it? She doesn't think it is. I was I was wondering um, in the in the time in between our podcasts today with each other, we were talking about how you you went through these processes, kind of being these characters. You already have a really awesome source material um, in Hamlet by some guy named Billy Shakes, and I was wondering now, especially for you, Kate, how much is that? Is it is it a, is it a piece in the writing? Uh, the idea of Ophelia being crazy? Is it something that we get to tackle in that play? Does it, or is it something that you just have to kind of parse through in terms of how you create the character? Um, we talk about it a little bit. It's sort of established at the beginning that um, once Ophelia has died, whatever craziness was there has gone away. Hmm. So she's sane in the context of the show but then she gets to go back and explore some of that craziness um, as she reenacts different parts of her life does and that, death. Does that angst, a, a, does like, I, what I'm trying to, what I'm wondering about here is like, does that fuel a lot of the, like the energy behind the character in this, these misconceptions or this like fighting against the idea that she was crazy where she just pigeonholed to be that to serve the purposes of Hamlet's journey? I think, I think it's um, interesting. She, I, I believe she did go crazy. Mm. Um, I believe that that was a result of everything in her life converging on her as this young woman who has no experience of the world. And all of a sudden she's um, a pawn in this court in games that she doesn't know how to play. And maybe, you know, if she lived longer and gotten older and, and avoided kind of the, the craziness, maybe she would have learned how to play those games. And we see sort of those characteristics in Gertrude throughout the piece of knowing how to play the game. Um, and I think Ophelia has that capacity, but her her mental journey took a, a different path when she was being used. Do you think that, that that having Gertrude in this particular piece, is she like a mentor to Ophelia in some ways? Something that she didn't have before? <laughs> she is so not a mentor. Oh. Um, Gertrude is, Gertrude um, is a survivor. And she's done what she's done her entire life to survive. Um, and I, we talk about that a lot in this piece about what she's done to um, make things work and that she's learned how to play the game. And that's why she lived to be much older than um, Ophelia did because mm. she knows how to play. Although she did get caught out <laughs> at the end. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of characters who uh, didn't ever want to end up in a room together, it's probably like Claudius and Hamlet, number one, and then like Gertrude and Ophelia, number two. Right. Um, They don't, (laughs) they have a pretty contentious (laughs) relationship, um, both in the play, I think, and also in our piece. now we talked earlier in the earlier in the day about what this festival kind of allows to to be put on stage. You said you have an hour time limit from from set up to tear down. We do, but that's just for our show. I mean, there's shows that are all different lengths, but wow. we um we that's a that's a slot that we could afford <laughs> was an hour <laughs> slot instead of a two hour slot. Um, but, you know, so since we knew that that's what we could afford, that's what we had the, the play written to um, mm-hmm. for the 40 minutes. Now, Susan, you are also producing this this project. Will you talk a little bit about kind of the undertaking that it takes a theater company to to get to get a slot at the Fringe Fest? Um, it was not as easy as I thought it was going to be. Um, I didn't realize that while Fringe hadn't decided if they were going on or not this year in full capacity, um, a lot of the spaces had decided that, um, and they were all booking up or booked up. Um, I lucked into this spot because there's another company from Denver, um, Flying Solo is going. Penny Cole and her, her group are going as well. And she got me connected to the comp, the um, venue that she works with, the space. And they just happened to have a slot. They, they kind of started, we started with um, two weeks in two different places at 10 in the morning. And then by the time we got done negotiating the contract, um, I guess somebody else must have dropped out because then we got our prime spot at 7.20 in the evening. Nice. Um, in one in one space instead of having to split spaces, so um, that's pretty was pretty competitive. Competitive is finding a space to do it in, mm-hmm. um, but other than that, everything else is pretty much you know marketing and um, casting and just anything else you would do for a show. Lodging, lodging is really contentious um, mm-hmm. at the fringe because the rents go up astronomically during this time period, and it's becoming a big thing because artists can't afford to find a place to stay because it's so expensive. Um, we got lucky in that we found a place that was less than $8,000 for the month. And I know luck, that doesn't sound lucky. <laughs> you're looking at a lot of places that are like um, 10,000 and up for a month. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Oh um, and I think it's something they're, they are trying to, um, as an organization, look at and help to, um, I don't know, gives, you know, figure out a way to make it cheaper for artists um, anyway, because you're looking at probably um, when I checked, when we um, registered way back in um, March or April, I think mm. um, there were 1800 companies signed up for performing um, and that, that amount has gone up. And I think it's probably closer to 2,500 again, um, which means it's the audience is, is split out. You know, there's, it, it, you, you're not going to get huge audiences. Yeah. Um, so that's another thing that's a bit of is it's expensive. It's expensive for artists to go and do this work. Um, and then you add lodging onto it and that's just terrifying. So tell me then the, is the draw, like, I assume there's like a, a contest for like best productions pieces. Is that, is um, that what brings you out there? Well, it, yeah, there, there, there is, there's like French, a uh, French first, Okay. which are awards for, you know, um, plays that have never 
been this is the first time they're there, which um, we should be eligible for since we are a world premiere. Um, but the draw is just the coming together of all the artists from around the world to create. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the community that evolves from that. Because, you know, we're all out there busting our butts, trying to get people in to see shows. And then we're all out having a drink after our shows, you know, talking to each other. And, you know, just it's, it's a great community to be a part of. And mm-hmm. I think that's the draw. Um, I do think that some um, it's turned into a um, it's a it's a great place for comics to be discovered as well. Yeah. So if you're a stand up, um, you've got that advantage. Um, and I know that some companies are picked up, shows are picked up for tours and stuff like that. Um, but I think it's mostly the comics that get really picked up. Um, I think Fleabag was one of the ones that was done. Um, there was a, a done at the Fringe. Um, and I think she, where she got picked up, Mm -hmm. um, but you know, um, what is it? Oh my gosh. Help me out. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. What is that show? Rosencrantz Um, and Guildenstern are dead by Tom Stoppard. Exactly. Started at the fringe. Yeah. So, and that was 1960. I want to say 66 or 67, Mm -hmm. right. When Stoppard was not, was questioning whether he wanted to um, continue being a playwright (laughs) and then it took off. So. Bam. Yeah. That's so there's, awesome. a, there's a lot of good, you know, being at the fringe, mm-hmm. not to mention you get to be in one of the most beautiful cities in the entire world. And for me, I get to be there for a month um, and just love the city that live in the city that I really love. Oh, fantastic. Well, you have family joining you once you're, once the show's yeah. done wrapping. Well, well, yes, actually they'll be there beforehand because um, my son, Harry is um, going over with Denver school of the arts they also are doing a play um and they're doing Fantastic. the first two weeks so he'll be there um he won't be around me because i am his mother and he doesn't like to be around his mom <laughs> um so but you know he'll do his thing and i'll do my thing and i'll see his show and he'll be at my show for one night before he heads back out of the country oh fantastic i'm going to take my standard uh, zoom break here and grab some frozen fruit and oh, no. i'll be right back <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> by the way um average rent costs for a one-bedroom apartment in Edinburgh, apparently six hundred and nine dollars a month. Stew on that, Dan. Keep this in, <laughs> except for the month of the Fringe, where it's eight thousand dollars a month. Exactly. <laughs> Jeez, Louise, it is ridiculous. Yeah, it's my parents crazy. were talking about finding a hotel. Oh, uh, did they find something? Or? They did, and I mean, okay. it's probably that's. They said it wasn't as bad as they thought it was going to be. So I think maybe they anticipated correctly, but where are they staying? I have no idea. I have, they sent it to me and I, it's not for a month. So I don't care yet. (laughs) Well, I stayed at a great hotel. I stayed at a great hotel when I was there at the end of the month for, um, when I went to see our film uh in Edinburgh. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. It's right off of the, um, high street, Princess Mm -hmm. street, not Princess street. Where was it? Off of high street. I think it was great. Right in the middle of everything. Every street's a high street if you plan it right. Uh, Wait, what? Anyway. Uh, what? Right. What no. country are you in? Denver, America. <laughs> What's left of it anyway? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, last time we talked, we did talk about that. This is a really interesting segue. Um, the, the current political climate mm-hmm. and how rehearsing through that with this particular piece about two women who have been kind of screwed over by their male counterparts 
in the the source text, I'll say, in Hamlet. How much of that influenced your presence in the in, in the room when you would when you're rehearsing? Kate, I'll start with you. Um, you know, it's more prevalent now, but you know, women have been being screwed over by men for <laughs> hundreds of years. <laughs> so I think that sort of anger um, is definitely in that, in the piece. And I know that I always bring that to a piece about the way that men treat women because it's horrible a lot of the time. And, and also the way women treat other women. And you see that in this piece too, mm. of these two women who <laughs> could, if they could get along, could have been able to avoid some of the, the tragedies of the piece. Um, but um, yeah, I think with, with the decisions that are happening in America um, and the, the loss of bodily autonomy that's happening for women in this country, those, um, it does feel a little more relevant to our piece, which is set in a time when women didn't have bodily autonomy. Mm-hmm. And so it feels much more present right now because of those recent decisions. And I think that anger and that frustration is definitely coming through in the characters and in the piece. Do you feel that it serves you? Definitely. Yeah. I think it's definitely a driving force for me um, and helps to, to navigate some of the, the darker emotions of like being able to pull yourself back out as a character and be like, no, it's not all on me Mm -hmm. because there are other people at play here and other men to blame (laughs) absolutely Absolutely. (laughs) susan what about you you know it's yes and no um yes it drives a lot um this the piece is very very much about women as second-class citizens um and now we're starting to um go back to that here in this country Mm -hmm. um you know, the patriarchy um, is still in charge. And um, as Kate mentioned, if, you know, if women could actually work together, um, <laughs> we would rule the freaking world and we wouldn't have to deal with this. Um, but, you know, it's, it's yeah, mm-hmm. I'm more pissed off in my private life. Yeah, I am in the in the play um, in bringing anything into the play from it, but I'm I'm a little more pissed off. Um, I did mention earlier that we do have lovely parting gifts for our audience. audience? What do we have for the audience? We have these lovely little buttons they can take home with them. It says "fuck the patriarchy." Um, So yeah, so come see our show, and I'll give you a button, or maybe I'll just give you a button anyway. (laughs) That'd be cool. That'd be cool. Put it in my put it onto my uh, backpack. There you go. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm intrigued about this whole process in terms of like it, it sounded like this was a, a like a Susan's germ of an idea. I want to go to the French Fest this year. Let's then you went to to Rebecca Gorman O'Neill, your playwright, to get something commissioned. Did you did you always have Kate in mind to be your partner in this, or is it based on what you got from Rebecca? No, I um I went to Kate and asked her if mm-hmm. this would be something she'd be interested in because we've worked together since two thousand and sixteen, I think. 
in early 2016, 2015? I think Smoke was in 2015. Yeah. So we've worked together since then. And, you know, she's, she's joined us on a lot of projects. And I know that um, I've enjoyed working with her as a director. And um, she's also worked on some of the film projects that we've done as well. And we've, as, you know, as an actor and me as an actor. Um, and I know that she's somebody that I like spending time with. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that we're going to be sharing a two-bedroom apartment right. for, you know, a good two weeks. Mm -hmm. um, you always want to make sure that it's going to be a lovely time on top of that. Yeah. So, um, but no, I went to her. Yeah, I went to her first. And then I went to Rebecca. I think, well, I, I maybe I went to Rebecca. It was the same time, but I knew who I wanted to work with. I knew I wanted to work with Rebecca and I knew that I wanted to work with Kate. So it was, it was easy peasy from that point forward. Nice. Wonderful. Kate. When, when this comes to you, is it like contingent on the type of material? Or are you just like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. I want to go down on this road with you. Oh, I, I will pretty much do anything that Susan asks me to do. I love her and Darren and I love Antoto too. I think they're doing amazing things, promoting women in this mm -hmm. community. And um, yeah, they're some of my favorite people. So I was like, yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah, let's do it. I, you know, I, I don't know that I've like, like, I don't know that the fringe has been or was ever like a, a huge dream or bucket list item for me, but um, it's definitely something that I know about. And I was like, well, that would be really cool. And so, yeah, I definitely jumped at the opportunity and was like, yes, absolutely. Um, and I love Rebecca's writing as well. So I'll do any one of her pieces also. Um, yeah. Susan, I want to backtrack a little bit to something kind of not what we um, brought everyone together to, to talk about a second time today. How how did your um, play crawl go? How was how was the event? Did it pop off like you're hoping? Oh, my gosh. It was weird for me um, producing it, getting back in the swing of something that, you know, for nine years, I finally, you know, worked all the kinks out of. And I was like, boom, 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 boom. But after being off for two years, it was um, um, it was it was an interesting it was it was interesting getting back in the saddle, basically. Um, but having said that, I had um, great people who said yes. Um, um, all of the playwrights that I've worked with in the past, you know, that I went to said yes. Um, my actor said, yes, my director said, yes. And, um, you know, for that part of it, that all came together really, really well. Mm -hmm. Um, the hardest part was making sure we had a venue to start with because, um, this, the area is changing. Yeah. Um, local 46 has been brilliant in giving us this space, letting us use their space. Um, but we weren't, we weren't sure they were going to actually be there, um, because they're set for demolition oh, at some point. Yeah. So that entire block is going to become apartments. Woohoo! Oh, um, which is, you know, which is sad. Yeah. Um, but it came together really well. Um, everything flowed. We had, um, we had sold out, it sold out, you know, for, after coming back from um, not doing it for two years, we, we still sold it, sold it out again. So That's great. Very excited. Well, congratulations. I'm glad you were Thank able you. to bounce back the way you were hoping to. Yeah, me that, too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the more, the more things change, you know, the, the more they the stay more the, same. the same. And, and I yep. think Antoto too and the play crawl has been this really cool annual thing that, that you, that I think is like a hallmark of what your company provides to the community. And I'm glad to have you back out there. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. Um, we get to this stage in the pod. I just want to 
make sure that we, 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 we give space to, to have you tell us what your ghost light would be for that next generation of creatives coming behind you. And Kate, what would uh, be your ghost light? I think just remembering to keep doing pieces that make people think and keep doing pieces that are relevant or that reinterpret older pieces in relevant ways. Mm-hmm. Theater has this really great capacity to, to constantly adapt and change and update um, and make people feel things and make people think. And I think we have to continue to do that in new and more creative ways. Absolutely. Susan. You know, I'm, I'm again, equity is my big thing. Um, everybody's voice deserves to be heard, you know, not just specific ones, but everybody's voice. Everybody's got a story. Everybody walks through this life differently. And I think by sharing those different stories, you know, we learn about each other. We start to have empathy for each other. And right now this country um, is, is lacking, is lacking empathy. Yeah. A lot of empathy. Most definitely. Well, I wish you both safe travels. Thank you so much for being with us and making time in your day <laughs> a second time. Before we sign off, um, Susan, what's that little thing you're, you're, you're dangling? In well, the- this is my press release, but it has the information on it for my um, our venue. So for those of you that I know are going to be listening in Edinburgh because you're looking for a fun show to go see, we are at the space at Symposium Hall, and that is venue 43. Um, and it's um, really close to the Festival Theater. So um, if you find that, you'll find us. Again, it's um, the space at Symposium Hall, venue 43. You can get tickets on the um, Ed Fringe website or antoto2.org. Um, so come see us. Definitely. Get those tickets. Make sure you're watching out for Antoto 2. Uh, the play is Gertrude and Ophelia in hell. They're going to make sure the stage stays cool. Dan, do the damn thing. All right. Thanks for joining us, Susan and Kate. And now it's time for my pod with Rebecca Gorman O'Neill, the playwright of Gertrude and Ophelia in Hell. Enjoy. Rebecca. Yes. Tell me about the piece, Gertrude and Ophelia in Hell. Um, So the story of the piece is basically we catch Gertrude and Ophelia right after they have died. Ophelia has been there for a minute because she died a few weeks ago. Play starts right after Gertrude gets poisoned in the big, you know, sort of end battle there. Mm -hmm. Um, So the two of them are in a situation where they can get another chance at being alive if they can figure out how to do things differently, figure Mm -hmm. out how to essentially change their deaths or change their fates. And they only have each other to to work with on that. Is is there, is it spoiling too much if they, if we ask what gives them the idea that they can change their fate? 
It's not um, because the, so it had to be a really sort of tight, um, a tight show. It had to be pretty short. So the, you get about a, a, a chunk of exposition that is, they have a cell phone. Mm-hmm. They don't know what it is. They call it a little machine, but it is a window into what's going on topside. And it will also answer yes or no questions. So Ophelia has been there for weeks and she's sort of figured out that if she can convince the little machine uh, of her plans that are going to end up differently, uh, then she can get a do-over. And she's been completely unsuccessful so far. And then Gertrude shows up and they kind of hate each other. Yeah. <laughs> when you, when Susan, uh, Susan approached you to com- to basically commission a work for the Edinburgh Finch Festival, correct? Correct. She said, uh, Hey, we want you to write. We know you're writing. Um, we know you can write fast. Uh, we need a play. And I, I shot her three different ideas uh, and this is the idea that resonated. So, um, so yeah, she said, "Hey, go nuts!" And and here we are. Fantastic. What um, can I ask? Where the other two ideas about? Uh, one of them is one that I'm going to also eventually write. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them was essentially <laughs> villainous women. Uh, in literature. So the idea is we go from sort of a, a very recent villainous woman. Um, I think I'm going to use Gone Girl for that. Mm-hmm. And she learns how to do it from, say, a femme fatale from the 40s. Oh. And then the femme fatale from the 40s goes back and and learns how to be bad from a character from 1920s fiction, or say the Wicked Witch of the West. And it's sort of this two-woman handoff where each woman gets to keep playing a new part, going back in literary history all the way to Eve. It's ambitious, but (laughs) that's one of those like, here's some ideas. I don't know how I'm going to write them, but which (laughs) ones do you like? And yeah, so this is the the one they gave me. It's interesting. Um, I'm noticing here like, one of the conver- one of the questions that came up near the end of the original pod that I tried to use today, um, mm-hmm. before my my brain it's okay. did its thing, um, is the the I guess the the conversation around creating for mm-hmm. women. You, Rebecca, seem I don't know. Seem is the wrong word because <laughs> I don't. I, I, as, as a person that's been able to, to work on some of your writing before, and then I'm getting an insight into this particular project here. It, it, do you often focus on trying to create characters, female characters as your protagonist, antagonists, or uh, is that something that just kind of comes to you as you're creating? It's yeah. It, it, I think when I started off, I tended to, uh, I, I sort of tended to, um, male leads a a decent number of my shows uh have you know male protagonists but you know it's it's something that whatever story oh this is this is awkward um so whatever whatever story it is Mm -hmm. dictates and I think as I've been getting older and moving on and on um my characters have gotten more complex and the female characters' stories are becoming more and more interesting mm. to me. Um, 
just because, you know, obviously I'm a woman and there's a lot to talk about. Uh, so while I don't say, while I almost never do a, hey, this is going to be a woman's story, mm-hmm. uh, it is almost always a, hey, this is going to be a compelling story. And the lead is a woman. And that, of course, factors into her character and her experiences and, of course, the story itself. Awesome. So it's more of a thing as I've grown more mature as a writer. Absolutely. Um, you talked in our in our first go round, kind of where your process as a writer begins. Will you will you kind of describe that again for us? You say you start predominantly from a location, yes? Right. Um, with Gertrude and Ophelia and Hell, I had some great parameters because I knew who my actors were. I knew there was no set, no lights, no tech. Uh, any props had to be able to fit in their suitcases as they go to Edinburgh, um, and so. Having that, having that grounding, that constraint of a single location, first off, it's unique to playwriting um, because, hey, you know, the theaters don't have a ton of money and the more sets you have, the more expensive the play is. Yeah. Uh, so I just sort of recognize this about myself as a writer. I tend to like interesting locations and locations that are ready to have a story happen in them Mm -hmm. and then build the story there. I, yes, I start with plot. Yeah, I start with characters, but if I have a grounded location, then I'm off to the races. Is that something maybe you've talked, I think we talked, you you touched on, you saw the space Mm -hmm. and then that kind of gave you the plot. Is that something that like when your creative muse is, is, is (laughs) peaked, is that what does it? You're like, oh shoot, that's an there interesting underpass. I mean, I mean, sometimes it used to be like, okay, um, this my very first play was okay, a wishing well, mm. um, or okay, a really crappy circus that doesn't have any clowns because the manager is afraid of clowns. Uh, but every once in a while, I'll actually see a, a room or a location or a place that I, you know, spent a lot of time, a graveyard that I used to hang out in. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for greater good, for example, I, uh, I was dating this guy and he was in a band and he showed me where the band rehearsed. And I was like, this is a set for a play. Uh, and I just sort of filled it with the stuff that was going on at the time uh, and kind of, kind of built it from there but having a, a single location to ground myself in um really really helps mm-hmm. as well as you know plays are unique in that they are sustained action too it's like you don't get to have a cut every two minutes you have to have 30 40 minutes of sustained action mm-hmm. uh and so that is really really helpful when the location is part of the pressure yeah do you do you like uh, specifically for this process, writing for a piece to be performed at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, festival, did you did were you excited by having such a limited amount of stuff to work with? It gave me parameters. Um, being a playwright, it, you know that you're going to have directors and actors and designers and a million other people make your piece be stronger, better, faster 
a, an actual like living thing that's out in the world and not just stuck in your head. Um, so the uh, thing with the fringe, having knowing who my actors were, uh, knowing their faces and their voices, knowing that we have this tiny area to to build in. I was like, okay, I can work with that. And um, it it's not limitations, it's opportunities to use it. Nice. Uh, I recognize that a lot of my writing has to do with traps, um, physical, mental, or emotional traps, mm -hmm. uh, which, hey, what does that say about me? But um, a, lot of, a lot of my plays do um, make use of that confinement. So this really uh, was, I'm not gonna say it was an easy thing to write. I'm gonna say it was, uh, it flowed pretty good because I knew what I could and couldn't do. Mm, absolutely. Um, initially we were talking about cuts that had to be made and the process yeah. therein in terms of like what you marry yourself to is it easier knowing that i know who my director is i have a good rapport mm -hmm. with them and the actors that i've created this piece for having them in mind from the start mm -hmm. does that help you kind of divorce yourself for lack of a better phrase from the stuff that you write it it sort of enhances it um ha having no, it, it helps me to be able to trust. I mean, I know Billy, I know Susan, I know Kate. Um, I know I've heard my words come out of Kate's mouth a bunch of times before. Mm -hmm. um, I know how fast and quippy and I know how this sounds. Um, and so it was really easy to, I don't like to get wifty like this, but imagine the voices as I'm writing the voices. Nice. Yeah. So it makes it, it makes it uh, even more fun. It's like, oh, I can't wait to hear Susan say this line. <laughs> uh, so I cranked out, uh, you know, I think it was a 37 page script, uh, gave it to him. We had a read, I made a couple tweaks and about a week ago they did a run and they realized, okay, this is running seven minutes longer mm -hmm. than we have because they only have the space for an hour. Um, and so I, got to do a pass where I cut seven minutes out of the play. I was nickel and diming lines and words and taking like every little tiny uh, extra bit out. Mm -hmm. um, apparently I didn't really lose anything by doing so. So that was a really good exercise for me as a writer. Nice, very cool. When you, I was going to go down a road of like the familiarity, but I think we've covered that. Mm -hmm. When you write for these festivals, mm -hmm. are you trying to set a specific tone for this or is it just something that comes out of the creation and we just let it be what it is? Um, I think that I, I think that a you are given, I think a way to think of this is, yeah, I write for the play crawl um, that Antodo 2 does, which is a site specific, you have this venue, write to the venue, um, or you have these actors, write to these actors. These are the easiest plays for me to write because it's like someone gave me so many Legos and I get to build whatever I want and whatever I'm feeling out of that number of Legos. 
Uh, it's, 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 and, and what I build from it is going to be, you know, whatever themes, tones, styles are, are working in me at the time. Uh, but yeah, it's like, I, I do better with constraints than I do going, okay, I have a play that I'm writing just for me and no one else. And it, I have no parameters. Excellent. Um, we had talked as well about the the current shift in the political mm. climate. Yes. Um, as you you obviously wrote this before the last the the, the, the events of like last, two weekends ago. Right. Um, was that, for lack of a better phrase, perfect timing? Or <laughs> is that just uh, one of those things where you're like, oh man, I wish this wasn't so apt. I wish it wasn't so apt. Um, I think that it's really helped in, I'm imagining it's really helped Susan, Kate and Billy in the rehearsal process to sort of tap into, yeah, okay, so we can fuel that anger or that injustice or that, um, that snarkiness based on stuff that's absolutely going to resonate with other people at the time. Um, when I was writing it, things a month ago, things weren't great then either. Uh, so what I find it usually is I tend to write a story that's appealing to me at the moment. And then the real world sort of seeps through. Mm. It's almost whether you want it to or not. Um, I often tell my students, uh, yeah, you can, you can have the best theme in the world, but you have to couch it in a compelling story. And also starting out on a soapbox is not necessarily necessary. Write the story you want to write and the things that you care about are gonna come out whether you want them to or not. They're gonna bleed through. Yeah. Um, so I think that's what happened. I mean, having uh, taking a look at Hamlet and going, wait a minute, let's take a look at Gertrude and Ophelia. Wait a minute, that really sucks uh yeah they were tools of all the men and died because of it uh so here's and, and that i really do wish wasn't apt uh but it it definitely works for now mm -hmm. do you, i i love this idea of that you can start from the from a soapbox yeah but if you just focus on the theme what you the message that you want to get out, the thing that you care about the most will see, will come out. It'll come out no matter what. I have written plays that I have put up on stage. I go to opening night and I watch it being performed and I'm like, oh God, what did I just do? I just put my brain on public display. I didn't realize I was definitely going through something when I was writing this and it came out. Uh, but Hopefully it's just couched in a story that people enjoy or resonate with or can relate to. Yeah. And I, and my own personal, like, eek, what did I do? Embarrassment is just my own. Nobody else is going to start thinking, wow, Rebecca's going through some stuff. They're going to think, wow, these characters are going through some stuff and I can relate. Interesting. I, I, I love this idea of like, it's almost like, I've often said for myself as an actor, I didn't know who I was until I started playing other people. Mm -hmm. And then it's, it's, it's really what, what struck me about what you just said is this idea of like, I wrote the thing, 
I was there in the process creating it. And then I gave it to somebody else and they put it on. And it's through their performance that I learned something about the work that I just did alone for two months or two years, however long you spend on it. Was that something that took some time to get used to? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, It is something that uh, it's collaborative writing. You don't get to be precious with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You, as the writer, you're not the director, you're not the actor, you're not the costume set and stage at light and sound designer. These are other people's jobs. Uh, And you make a skeleton that other people put muscles and skin and clothes on and it's still your skeleton. Uh, but it becomes something much more than any one person could do alone, which is what how which is why I love this kind of writing. I love dramatic writing this way. Thank you, Rebecca. Before yeah. we sign off, I was wondering if you could tell us, like, what is that ghost light you wish you uh, had left on for you that you'd like to leave on for the next generation? I think it's definitely community. Mm-hmm. Um, theater has a unique place in our society. Uh, it is, I will scream to the heavens, it is a basic human need because we've been telling every single culture that's ever existed has told stories and acted them out. Uh, this is how we know it's something that is vital to our, uh, our, our daily lives. Um, so I think it is the coming together in community with real people in a real room, having a shared experience um and feeling a connection especially now especially post-covid feeling or not post-covid but yeah feeling a part of other humans lives and letting them be a part of your life so it's that feeling of community thank you you're absolutely right rebecca i really appreciate you coming back and meeting me for the second time today thank you everyone thank you bye-bye Thank mm-hmm. you.